faced the company of the lowest. He took on his shoulders the sins of many. He died without a thought for his own welfare. He was buried like a criminal, even though he'd never hurt a soul or said one word that wasn't true. It was our pains he carried, our imperfections, all the things wrong with us. We did our own thing, went our own way. We thought he brought it on himself, that God was punishing him for his own failures. Yet God laid on him everything we've done wrong. There he was, held on the cross with nails in wrists and feet. Before he breathed his last, committed his spirit into the hands of his father, he cried out, My God, Father, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me? Pierced, beaten, bruised, insulted, abused, mocked, ripped, torn, rejected, betrayed by his closest friends in exchange for our peace. In place of our sin, in exchange for our healing, accused of living a lie when he was the truth. But he offered no words in his own defense. Did anyone really know what was happening? From prison and trial, they led him away to his death. But who among the people realized that he was dying for their sins? Who would have thought God's saving power would look like this? But this is what God had in mind all along. It was God's will to crush him and cause him to suffer. The plan was that Jesus give himself as an offering for sin. And God's plan deeply prospered through his son. And when Jesus saw all that would be accomplished by his anguish, he was pleased. Christ died for sins once for all, the righteous for the unrighteous. And God so loved every face, every name, every heart. God so loved every life that he gave Jesus his one and only son, to die a death we deserve to die, our mortal life, in exchange for his eternal one. Isn't that great? What a great story. You know, we all have stories that we tell, don't we? You know, you, you, you have your favorite couple or two or three of some adventure that you did or that you went on or, or something that excited you that you really feel strongly about. And, and in the midst of a conversation, you always look for opportunities to tell that story. Maybe it's sitting around a campfire. Maybe it's sitting around a table with some friends and a cup of coffee or, or whatever. And, and, and it's always one person, right? They tell a story. And then you know what happens in your mind when somebody tells a story. You think, well, I have a story kind of like that. And in fact, maybe my story is a little bit better than their story. So then you tell your story. And it becomes just a time of storytelling, right? Well, we're, we're going to begin looking at the greatest story ever told over the, the course of the next four weeks as we lead into our resurrection Sunday, our Easter celebration. And we're going to start that today as we begin this series entitled, Were You There? Now, I love the, the Easter holiday. It's my favorite one of all because it is the center of, of life as we know it today. Bar none, it is the center. And, and as we lead up to that, I hope that our hearts are drawn in. I hope, um, I know that there will be times when, when there'll be great celebration in our hearts. I know there will be times when, when there are solemn moments where our heart breaks as we consider the, the pain and the suffering that, that Jesus physically went through to accomplish the mission that, that he came to accomplish. But in addition to the Easter season, this is also a great 
uh, season of weather. You know, it, it's getting warmer, right? And, and I know there are hardcore people in here that hate snow, and, and I happen to love snow, but I also love sunshine and heat and warmth because that brings new things. It brings green grass and it bring, brings leaves on the trees. Now, we're not done with winter yet, in case you're wondering. Um, there's still going to be white stuff come. We know it's coming. But the hope that we have in, in white stuff this time of year, that it's not going to be here tomorrow probably, right? Um, and, and, and that moisture soaks into the ground. And I saw a guy the other day, he thatched his lawn and, and mowed it. And I'm like, man, you are nuts. He's going to be mowing it. I mean, actually mowing it in a matter of a couple weeks. Because that grass is wet, and when the sunshine shines on that, and that grass has just been alerted that it's time to grow. And it's going to grow. And I'm thinking, he's going to have to mow it three times in the month of April. You know, I, I like to mow the lawn, but I don't want to mow, start mowing in April. But, but, but there's this fresh newness. And, and you probably kind of feel that in your heart sometimes. But also, coming out of the season of winter, there's this, there can be this darkness. There, there can be this lingering of depression and, and discouragement. But we're going to see... Um, over the course of the next four weeks, that ultimately what we find as we approach Resurrection Sunday is life and hope in our hearts because of what Jesus has done. It's not too difficult to live in despair in our world today. I mean, you can turn the news on for, for 10 minutes and just be discouraged completely about what's going on in our world. I mean, you know, there are natural disasters. There are people's lives being taken from them. You know, in, in Washington State, for instance, there's, a, there's an airplane that nobody knows where it is. They're, they assume that it crashed and all the people are dead, but we don't know. And I can't imagine what the families of those people who are on that plane are feeling right now. The anxiousness and the despair and the discouragement and the frustration. Our nation at an alarming rate and nations all across the world are, are destroying life by choice. And it's discouraging and, and it's sad. And, and, and maybe you don't have something like that in your life that's maybe that seems extraordinary, but there are things happening in your circumstances in life that, that are discouraging, and there's sort of this darkness lingering over the top of your life, and, and, and you're, you're, you don't want to live there. And, and I'm here this morning to tell you, you don't have to live there, because there is hope, and that hope has come to us in and through Christ Jesus. Uh, Anita Brown's intro into the message was spot on. I mean, what a great telling of, of the end of Jesus' life and, and what that has done for us and all the questions that are wrapped up in there. Now, you're, you, you may have opened your worship folder this morning and there's no note sheet in there. Well, I, I did that for a reason. I, I, my prayer is that as we begin the message today uh, in this series, that our hearts are drawn into worship and reflection on our Lord Jesus Christ. And, and we're just going to go through the passage this morning, um, highlighting some, some key things to introduce us to this series. And, and so I just, you know, obviously there's some of you that have pieces of paper, and, and that encourages me when I see you writing things down anyway. But um, uh, I, I just don't, don't feel bad if you didn't bring a piece of paper and you normally take notes. Just, just allow the message of the gospel this morning to soak in to your soul and to your spirit.
Now, we are asking the question, were you there? And, and there's an old hymn that says, were you there when they crucified my Lord? And, and of course you're thinking, well, no, I wasn't there. I wasn't physically there. But, but we really were there. We really were there. In, in fact, um, Jesus sacrificed His death for all. That includes us here this morning, several thousand years removed from the actual event. And you know what? It means the same thing to us today as it did for those men and women who are walking the earth when Jesus walked the earth. And the same sin that He died for when people were alive, when Jesus was alive, is the same sin in your life and mine that Jesus died for at that moment in time. So in a spiritual sense, in a cosmic sense, if you will, we were there. He was thinking of you and me on that day. So events that happened 2,000 years ago have had such cosmic effects that our lives today are impacted. We can have the same hope that they did. We have the same struggles that they, they had, and we're going to be looking at some of those. Um, this morning in our passage, Jesus is absolutely sure of what his mission on the earth is, and he is about to complete it. And he's describing to the disciples, he's teaching them again. If you would open your Bibles to Mark, the Gospel of Mark, chapter 10. Um, Matthew, Mark, Luke. Mark is the second book of the, of the New Testament. Chapter 10. Mark chapter 10, we're going to be again reading in verse 32. Now, multiple times before this passage, Jesus has talked to the disciples about the fact that he's going to die. Um, with, less, with less detail, this is one of the most detailed times that he's taught the disciples, and, uh, and it's drawing really near. Mark chapter 10, beginning in verse 32. They were on their way up to Jerusalem with Jesus leading the way, and the disciples were astonished, while those who followed were afraid. Again, he took the twelve aside and told them what was going to happen to him. We are going up to Jerusalem, he said, and the Son of Man will be betrayed to the chief priests and teachers of the law. They will condemn him to death and will hand him over to the Gentiles who will mock him and spit on him, flog him and kill him. Three days later, he will Rise. Look at that verse 32 again. They were on their way up to Jerusalem with Jesus leading the way. And we see that the disciples are astonished and those that were following are afraid. There is tension in the air. They're headed somewhere which is not a safe place to be at this point in time in history. The disciples know it. Those people that are following Jesus know it. And, and I envision Jesus walking down a, a path of some sort and there being, you know, 12 to 30 people behind him, those that were his disciples, the 12 disciples, and then others who were following. And the disciples are astonished, and I think they're surprised that, that Jesus is heading to Jerusalem at this point in time. Because I don't think they get it yet. I, I don't think they've understood all of what Jesus is, has come to accomplish. And, and I don't think they're on the same page yet. And Jesus continues to teach them and lead them along. And Jesus is having to lead them. The disciples are astonished. And those who are following are afraid. They're like, this is absolutely nuts. We're, it's crazy to go to Jerusalem right now. I mean, this would be like, you know, walking into the middle of, of Los Angeles when the, the L.A. riots were going on. Willingly. Let's just go in. Let's just put our lives in danger, right? Um, I think that's what they're thinking. But Jesus is leading them because it is time. 
Now, Adam reminded us last week that the city of Jerusalem and, and Israel is occupied by Rome right now. And, and Rome is out for themselves. And, and they're trying to control the people and they're having to, to, uh, to manhandle um, Jews because there are many uprisings and they don't want that to happen and they want to keep the peace. And all of these Jews are flooding into the city of Jerusalem to celebrate Passover. And, and that's what you don't want, right? Is a bunch of people who get, you know, bent out of shape and, and all are on the same side to go against. And, and so Rome is putting pressure on things that are going on. Um, their country, the, the, the Israel is occupied by a foreign people. And every day their life is altered in some way, shape, or form by the situation that they're in. And, and you know, as I think about my life and as I think about your life, our lives are altered in, in some way, shape, or form on a, on a consistent basis as well. Uh, for good sometimes and for bad for others. And, and, and we can become confused and discouraged in those times. So they're heading to Jerusalem. Um, in addition to the Romans being in the city, there's religious leaders in the city who don't like Jesus. I mean, they have been butting heads for years. As Jesus has accomplished uh, His ministry and has led and taught the disciples, um, they have called Jesus, you know, Beelzebub, and, and He must be possessed. And, and I mean, they've, they've, they've called Him out on the carpet many times, and uh, they've said, well, you can't forgive sins because you're not God. Only God can, can forgive sins. I mean, they didn't get it either. And it says again, as they're walking up here, He took the twelve aside and told them what was going to happen to Him. Multiple times before this, in the book of Mark, Jesus has mentioned that he's going to die. Uh, we see it in the Old Testament. Prophecies pointing forward to this moment in time where a Messiah will come. But I don't think the disciples really understand what is happening. I don't think they get what is going to happen to Jesus physically or what's going to happen to our world cosmically. But they soon will. We are in verse 33. Jesus says, we are going up to Jerusalem, he said. <laughs> okay, let's jump on that train, right? Um, it, it's, it's full of people. It's Passover. Prophecy is being fulfilled at almost every step they take now. I mean, it's day after day after day. Prophecy, 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 prophecy. And even Jesus saying what he's saying to the disciples here, this is how it's going to happen, guys. It hasn't happened yet. He's not reflecting back on it. He's saying this is what's going to happen. Um, they enter the city. We know from other Gospels, um, on a donkey, people are praising Jesus one day and then turning against Him another. Uh, many of the events that occur are clothed in darkness. Uh, Jesus celebrates a, the Passover meal with the disciples, the Last Supper. And, and Jesus takes, takes a symbol that Jews have been celebrating for hundreds and hundreds of years and He attaches a new meaning to it because He's changing things. He's fulfilling the law. And, and He gives us this cup and, and the bread and He says, um, this is in remembrance of Me. So they celebrate the Last Supper. We're going to be celebrating the Last Supper on Maundy Thursday, the 17th. Uh, that will be our our celebration of communion this month and, and I encourage you to come. It will be a night of, of solemn reflection as we, 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 we imagine ourselves celebrating with Jesus the night before that dark, dark day where He is crucified and He, he dies. But Jesus 
is ushering in a new spiritual reality, a reality of hope. And humbly, Jesus and the disciples make their way into Jerusalem. Willingly, He comes in. And it says, And the Son, Jesus says, of man will be betrayed. Jesus will be betrayed. Those who are among the group there, they don't know who, they don't know how. But Jesus does. Yet He continues on this walk because He knows that He has a mission to fulfill. And He's prepared to do it. So when He's betrayed, by Judas we know, uh, the chief priests and the teachers of the law, they take possession of Jesus. They, they bring Him back into the Sanhedrin and at night, they have this, they, they throw kind of this kangaroo court thing. I mean, Keith would have thrown that deal out a long time ago, right? This is just wrong. They, it says here, um, the chief priests and teachers of the law. He's turned over to them. They have this kangaroo court thing. And, it, and then Jesus says, they will condemn me to death. Jesus is found guilty of crimes he did not commit. Because see, if, you're, if you claim to be God, and you are, that's not blasphemy. And that's exactly what Jesus did. Doubt is cast in the minds of the leaders in the room that night, and they condemn Him, not just to not be a part of their community anymore, but to die. Now the chief priests and the teachers of the law, for whatever reason, they don't, they don't kill Him. Um, they enlist, enlist the help of the Romans in order to do this. And again, Jesus knows exactly what's going to happen and how it's going to happen. And He's telling the disciples, this is what's going to happen. Into verse 33, And we'll hand Him over to the Gentiles who will mock Him and spit on Him, flog Him, and kill Him. Now the Romans have no problem with killing people. In fact, they've gotten very good at it. Uh, and, and they've gotten very good at, at uh, causing as much pain as they can in the death process. And they do that with crucifixion. So, Jesus is killed. He, he gives up His life actually on the cross. On Good Friday, which is an interesting title to give to that day. Good for us, I guess. He dies. And, and the, their leader now, the disciples are thinking, what are we going to do now? Our leader, the one who we thought was going to usher in a, a political uh, uh, and community revolution to free the Jews and, and Israel from the oppression of the Romans. He's gone. I can imagine that their heads are spinning right now and they're struggling to understand. And oftentimes that happens in our lives as well. Our heads begin spinning and we don't understand what's going on and we can become discouraged. Well, there's good news. There's good news. S.M. Lockridge, he was alive from 1913 to the year 2000. He was a prominent African-American preacher known for his dynamic, passionate, and fervent sermons preached a message entitled, It's Friday, but Sundays are coming. And I want you to think about that in your own life. Um, when we get discouraged and we get depressed and we get down and, and things the, the darkness starts moving in, it feels like Friday. It feels like Jesus is dead and He's not here. But you need to remind yourself that it might be Friday today, but Sunday's a coming. And, and he goes into this, 
I don't, I've never listened to the whole thing into a 30-minute, it's Friday, but Sunday's a coming. I'd encourage you, I'm sure you can find it on YouTube uh, and listen to it. But he talks about the hope that we have in Jesus Christ. That's where it comes from. It seems dark today. But Jesus has victory. And, and that end part right there in John, or in Mark chapter 10, three days, Jesus says, three days later, he will rise. Well, that's just simply crazy, right? People don't come back from the dead. The, the teachers of the law have been teaching this for years and years and years. They don't believe in the resurrection, that, 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 you can, that, that a dead person can come to life. And, and I don't know if the disciples would go back to that. I don't know how you could forget it, but that moment where Jesus calls Lazarus to come out of the cave and, and Lazarus was dead. They were pretty sure he'd been in there four days. It smelled but he comes walking out, okay? So they know that there's something with, with this thing that Jesus is talking about, that he has control over life. And so when Jesus says three days later he will rise, they could believe it, they could hear it and say, okay, I get this. But then when you're actually sitting there and you see him die, I can imagine some doubt kind of crept in. Like, what, what is happening? It's, it's a dark time. Now, you might be a person here this morning who struggles with the cross. You know, um, you've, you've heard the, the story of, of Christ's crucifixion um, maybe hundreds of times. Or maybe it's the first time you've ever heard it here this morning. And you're thinking, well, you know, that sounds kind of cruel. It, it sounds like, like some old pagan, you know, religions that, that I've heard of in the past where, where in order to appease some kind of God, this people group had to either sacrifice a virgin or a child or something like that to make God, this God of theirs, little G, happy, to, to somehow cover over something that, that the tribe have done. Well, that's, that could, couldn't be further from the truth in this case. You might, be, you might be wondering, is God really a loving God? If this, if this sort of thing has to happen, is He really a loving God? Why doesn't, why doesn't He just forgive everyone? Why doesn't He just say, you know what, you're forgiven. I'm not going to hold that against you. Why did Jesus have to die? Well, one of the answers to that question is, in addition to being loving, God is just as well. And, and if justice is going to be served, there, there is a consequence or a punishment for, for what has been committed, for whatever crime has been committed. And in light of His true justice and love, there is a consequence for sin. And sin is a serious thing. We need to remember that as we live our lives every day. Sin is a serious thing that God does not take lightly. But God has provided a way for us to receive forgiveness for that. And it's not a sweeping it under the rug and saying, well, I'm just going to forget about it because that, that really isn't a loving thing to do either. Jesus describes this payment that must be made in verse 45 of Mark chapter 10. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Now, Jesus willingly came. He knew the mission and he accomplished his mission uh, when he died and he rose again because he loves us so much that he gave his only life. There is no greater love than this, we read. That's exactly what Jesus did. And it was the ransom. Now, when you, when you hear the word ransom, you know, um, you think of somebody that's kidnapped, right? Somebody gets kidnapped. 
there's a note that's sent or a phone call that's made. You see it in the movies all the time. And they say, well, if you send us $250,000 and, you know, a six-pack of Diet Pepsi and a helicopter, we'll let this person go. I mean, that's how some of those things go, right? There's always some weird thing attached to it. And, and that is somebody that has been taken outside of their own free will. The ransom that Jesus is talking about, at least as he's describing it in his current culture, it's a little bit different. Um, when Jesus uses the term ransom, he is talking about a sum of money that must be paid to somebody, but he's talking about a sum of money that must be paid to somebody who has been put into um, service to another person as a slave, typically by themselves. They say, you know, I will indenture myself to you for a sum of money or whatever for 10 years or 20 years, and I will serve that faithfully to you as my master. And, and along once in a while, someone would come and say, you know what, I'm going to pay the ransom for you. And you are going to be free from the obligation, from this, from this slavery that you are under. And, and it costs something. And that cost is borne by the person paying the ransom. It's all absorbed by them. And that's exactly what Jesus did for us when he ransomed us from sin, is he is absorbing all of the pain and consequence of our sin on himself. And he was the sacrifice that paid for that. Great love and sacrifice. And see, that's what Jesus has done. You know, we're in bondage to sin. And Jesus shed his righteous, perfect blood as a sacrifice, as a ransom to free us from that bondage to sin. Jesus did this. Mick, Jesus did this for you. Duncan, Jesus did this for you. He paid the ransom. Will Jesus pay the ransom for you? Noah, Jesus paid the ransom for you. Bonnie, Jesus paid the ransom for you. He paid it for all of us. A sacrifice, blood had to be shed. And it needed to be a perfect sacrifice. And I find it amazing that on Lamb Selection Sunday, Jesus makes his way into Jerusalem. The day Jesus goes into Jerusalem is the day that everyone who is there to celebrate the Passover is purchasing and selecting the lambs that they're going to take on the day of sacrifice and sacrifice for the sins of their family. That's the day that Jesus went in to Jerusalem. Every day, prophecy was being fulfilled. John 15, 13 says it this way, Greater love has no one than this, that he laid down his life for his friends. Do you hear the hope in that statement? To me, there's hope in that statement. That my Savior would lay his life down for me as his friend. He loves you dearly, and we can have hope in that. There's two things that I want us to consider this week. First of all, in light of the ransom that's been paid for your life, the question that you need to answer this morning is, have you received the ransom for your life? 
Have you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ as your Savior? Have you received the gift, this, this ransom that, that He is offering for all? Because that's the first place you need to start. Anything else we talk about going forward, it's not going to make any difference if Jesus, if your life, your soul has not been covered by the blood of Jesus. Paul says it in Romans this way. He says that, that if you confess with your mouth and you believe in your heart that Jesus Christ is Lord, you will be saved. There, there, there must be a surrender of our life, of, of our control, of our pride to Jesus Christ as God, as our Savior. And at that moment in time, all hope available is there for you and for I. Oh, Lord, thank you for your sacrifice for me. Thank you that you came literally, physically, as a man and lived the perfect life and died and rose again, conquering sin and death. And, and that, that, that as I have put my faith and trust in you, that, that in that moment in time, 2,000 years ago, when you died, that payment covered my sin. As if I was really there. You know, that's another amazing thing about God. He's not bound by time and space. You know how that looks, but... Were you there? <laughs> the second comes out of what Jesus said in verse 45. He said, I have come to pay the ransom, but he also says in the beginning of that, for even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve. John says it in 1 John 3.16 this way, this is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers. So as we experience the hope and the salvation and the joy and the encouragement, even in dark times and we look forward and we can hold on to that trust that Jesus Christ has won the victory for us, He also says, look, in the midst of that, in the midst of you living your life, serve your brother, serve your neighbor. Our changed lives ought to be worked out on a daily basis. There's an amazing illustration of this in the Old Testament. It's found in Jeremiah chapter 29. I'm not going to read the whole chapter. I'm just going to give you a synopsis of what's happening in Jeremiah chapter 9. In Jeremiah chapter 9, Israel has been dispersed. They've been, they've been exiled in Babylon. They have been sent to, you know, Siberia. And, and they've been sent there by the hand of God. And, and they are in, they're in bondage, I believe. At least they're in a foreign nation and they're no longer in their homeland. They're not in familiar territory anymore. And life is probably pretty tough for them. Yet in Jeremiah 29, verses 4 through 6, it says, This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says to all those I carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. This is what God says. Build houses and settle down. Plant gardens and eat what they produce. Marry and have sons and daughters. Find wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage so that they too may have sons and daughters. Increase in number there. Do not decrease. That's an interesting story for a group of people that are in exile in a foreign land, isn't it? 
they are in a dark place. And you know what God says to them? Live. Yes, that's the place you're in today. But you know what I want you to do? I want you to live. Live. I want you to get married. I want you to have kids. I I want you to work. I want you to build houses. I want you to settle here. Increase in number. Live. Live your lives. Yes, it's a tough spot, but keep living. And then in Jeremiah 29.7, he says this, Also, seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it, because if it prospers, you too will prosper. I've carried you to this foreign land. You're, you're in, a, in a place you don't want to be with a people that are pagans. But I want you to live And not only do I want you to do that, but I want you to pray that God would bless the people who you are living among. I want you to pray for your enemies. I want you to serve them. Because, he says, if it prospers, you too will prosper. Pray for good things. Pray for happiness of your captors. Pray for your enemies. Serve them. And and I wonder if you are here this morning and you're kind of of feeling out of sorts in your life. Um, Maybe there's a darkness that's come over the top of your life or you're struggling with something or um, maybe you feel like you've been dragged off to a foreign land. Maybe you just moved here. (laughs) feels like uh, a foreign place to you. And maybe some conversations with a few people haven't really worked out that well. You you thought maybe you were being kind, but they took it the wrong way and and, and it just kind of got ugly, you know, the whole relationship's not going well. Well, I think we can learn something from what the Lord says to us here this morning out of Jeremiah. Maybe you're suffering the ill effects of sin. That's what Israel was suffering. They were being punished. They were suffering the consequences of their sin as a nation. And God still says, live and serve. So as you think about what's happening in your own life here this morning, maybe a darkness, maybe you're... um, I I want you to think of it as the end of winter. And and I'm going to begin praying, and I want you to begin praying too, that spring and sunshine will become a a part of your life again. And that, that you will be obedient to what God is calling you to, and that is to live. Turn it over to Jesus. We, we can have hope because He paid the ransom. He paid the ransom. Though it was several thousand years ago that He physically did that, I think we can picture ourselves as being there because He died for us as well. Were you there when they crucified my Lord? Were you there when they crucified my Lord? Oh, sometimes it causes me to tremble, tremble, tremble. Were you there when they crucified my Lord? And as we close the service in this last 15 minutes, and as we worship Jesus this morning and this coming week, I want us to reflect on His willing sacrifice. And may our trembling be out of humility and surrender to Jesus and not out of fear and trembling for the things that we're experiencing in life. Let's look to Him for hope. Let's pray. Lord, thank You.
Thank you for your servant Mark and the disciples and Lord, how they lived through a pretty tumultuous, um, confusing time, but you always had it under control. And Father, I pray that as we begin to enter into the celebration time of, of the historical event of you coming, dying and rising again, oh Father, may we see the hope that you have for us. May we not see the despair and the confusion, but may we see the trust and the strength that, can, that, that comes from your Spirit. And oh Lord, I pray for this church family that, that, that as we consider this story the greatest story ever told, that it would weave its way into our conversations with people as we live with you at the center of our life and not with you as just an edge part of our life. Lord, thank you. Thank you. We worship you this morning in Jesus' name. Amen.